This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Thursday, December the 9th. Coming up, we're going to be hearing why plans for a new Aldi in Ashford are so controversial. Plus, the stars of one of this year's Kent pantomimes have been chatting about being back on stage for the first time in a while. But first today, an update on the top story from yesterday and an investigation into reports of lockdown-breaking parties at Westminster is going to look into three alleged gatherings last year, as well as the ones said to have happened at number 10 in December. It'll also look into an earlier one in November and a Christmas due at the Department for Education. MPs have suggested other parties may have also taken place, including in the Prime Minister's flat, which he's denied. Well, it's led to a huge amount of anger and frustration as new COVID restrictions are brought in to deal with the new Omicron strain. We'll have more on that in a moment, but first we're going to hear from a Maidstone man whose wife passed away from cancer around the time of those alleged parties. And he says the scandal feels like a massive insult. Clive Lever wasn't initially allowed to see his partner in the hospice she'd been taken to because of COVID restrictions. And by the time he did get to see her, she was not conscious. Well, he says he was denied the chance of saying a final farewell that she could hear. And this week's revelations have left him incredibly angry. He's been speaking to Ish. After a three and a half year journey, my wife was in the final stages of terminal cancer. So she wasn't actually suffering from COVID itself. But when she went into the hospice around about um, in between Christmas and New Year, eventually it was, I was not allowed to go in and see her. And things had been very difficult um, with regard to something that happened the night before regarding ambulances. She'd had a fall and um, it took five hours for the ambulance to come out. Um, And as a result of that, I was being advised by some of the some of the people from the ambulance when they did come out that if Andrea needed more care than I could give her, then she would have to go into a nursing home. And I was asking about this, and because she's because she saw me mentioning, heard me mentioning no um, nursing homes, she wrongly thought that I was trying to pack her off into a nursing home because I didn't want her anyway. So the last words I heard her speak to my face were, oh, go away. And then she went out of the house. I wasn't allowed to see her when she was in for medication assessment because of the COVID restrictions. But as soon as it went to end of life, um, they allowed me to see her then But by that time, she wasn't conscious. So I never got to say a nice, loving goodbye face to face to her. Um, So the last words I heard her say weren't all that pleasant. And it would have been so much to now hear that while we were being told, oh, you're not allowed to go into the um, into the hospice to say goodbye to your wife or whatever until it's too late for her to be able to hear you all of that with all the covid restrictions i couldn't go in and she didn't get any visitors i would i actually felt quite 
furious at first when I heard that um, while all of that was going on, people in the corridors of power were allegedly having parties and then putting out videos, um, making fun of the whole issue, as I say, which is simply not funny. It's absolutely terrible what you had to go through. And as you were saying, so many people, similar circumstances, couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones. If this is indeed the case that there was this lockdown breaking party, I guess from your perspective, you can't forgive the actions of those involved. Well, because of my faith, faith, I would um, be able to forgive them. I'll never be able to forget it. Um, and I, can, I, I could never make excuses for it. But I'm not going to hold a grudge because if I if I if I sort of say oh, I will never forgive them, then it'll me it'll be me that gets stuck in 2021. They'll just move on. What do you want to happen now? What should be? What's the way forward from this? Whatever they tell us to do, it is important from now on that they stick to the rules. They have to be like Caesar's wife, above reproach. It because there's too much of a feeling of it's not do as I do, it's do as I say. That has got to change. It's hypocritical. My dad always used to say, don't expect anybody else to do anything for you that you wouldn't be prepared to do for them. And I think that's what they need to do. If you're going to tell us to do it, do it your flipping selves. Well, we're sure Clive is not the only person who was in that situation last year. Our thoughts are very much with you after those allegations were made. And we will, of course, keep you updated on that investigation and the latest from Westminster. On to the new restrictions now, which were announced by the Prime Minister yesterday evening. And this is why. While the picture may get better, and I sincerely hope that it will, we know that the remorseless logic of exponential growth could lead to a big rise in hospitalizations and therefore, sadly, in deaths. From tomorrow, you'll have to wear a face mask in more public places. Where possible, the advice is to work from home from Monday and you'll need a Covid passport to get into nightclubs and big events from next Wednesday. With just a few weeks until Christmas, the hospitality industry has warned it could be catastrophic and a Kent business leader is calling on the government to support companies through the festive period. Joe James, who's chief exec of the Kent Invicta Chamber of Commerce, says firms are yet again having to make changes at the very last minute. She reckons the UK's economic recovery could be seriously damaged if help isn't provided. Well, Joe was unfortunately unable to join me on the podcast today, but I'm delighted to say the Deputy Chief Exec of the Chamber, Tudor Price, spoke to me earlier. So as we heard last night from the Prime Minister, Plan B is coming into effect. What was your initial reaction when you saw that announcement yesterday? Uh, disappointed, a slight question of doubt and, and cynicism as to whether or not this was just trying to distract from the uh, the party party news and other things that was going on in his life. Yeah, I think we were all disappointed. None of us really felt that this was going to be a reality when it was being talked about, you know, at the beginning of uh, November. So disappointed that, that they decided to bring this in. Also a bit frustrated that, of course, this is very much a preemptive step based on uh, some very early stage data uh, around the potential transmissibility without any real understanding of of the sort of virulence of the particular strain, which, you know, we are on the, what, the 15th variant now, I think. Um, so I would have liked to sort of seen a bit more science before before this sort of step was taken, because the the impact to all of this is around the, the, sort of the uncertainty this creates. We've already seen, we've heard today of, of members uh, who have had orders cancelled from 
you know, they're part of the supply chain for hospitality events and your retail and stuff. Um, because th those sort of consumer facing organizations have decided they're not going to take the risk of being overstocked or have sort of too much, you know, uh, too much debt in, in the, on their balance sheet. So, so they're rather sort of taking the chance of, of sort of shutting down just to be on the safe side. So all of that is going to create a real problem. And just a few weeks before Christmas, do you think it is the hospitality sector that's going to be hardest hit by this? Yes, I think so. Uh, certainly anecdotally, again, it's very early stages. It was only yesterday. But I mean, we had already started to hear of office parties being cancelled, you know, again, the sort of cancellation in sort of pre-orders or stock orders from the supply chain. It will have such long term ramifications. And I think more importantly, we've got to be asking government, you know, what is the end game here? And how long do we carry on with this on, off, on, off? Because businesses need stability. They need a certainty to be able to invest. And if we want our economy to, to recover, we want people to be well employed or paid well, you know, especially now we're sort of outside of Europe and sort of fighting our own corner. It's really, really important that we have some stability. The work from home guidance comes into effect on Monday. How big an impact does that have for businesses? Because you might just think, well, that's pretty straightforward. You're just working from home. But if you've got an office that's empty, it's still costing you money to keep that office empty. I mean, does that have an impact as well? Yes, uh, it has an impact. The immediate impact, of course, isn't so great because actually lots of offices are still set up for remote working. Many had adopted a hybrid approach where they were in the office two or three days a week, but the rest of the time spent at home. So they, they have the, the infrastructure and the, the capacity to be able to do that. So that's the positive. It, there is a psychological aspect to it all. You know, teams coming together, then then sort of, you know, being disparate and then being reformed, then breaking up again. That has a sort of psychological impact on individuals. And so the staff morale and sort of the well-being of the team is bound to be impacted. And of course, you can then follow from productivity. The I mentioned that at lunchtime, the sandwich economy, you know, lots of businesses are in town centres and people then sort of pop to the coffee shop and get their lunches or do shopping locally. That has an immediate impact, you know, straight away. Latest figures show coronavirus cases in Kent have gone up by a fifth in the space of a week. More than 11,700 people tested positive in the seven days to last Friday. Ashford now has the second highest COVID infection rate in the UK with 878 cases per 100,000 people. But deaths dropped slightly last month and the number of coronavirus patients in hospital remains relatively low. And so really positive COVID news today. You might remember we told you on a previous podcast about a little boy from Herne Bay who has an incredibly rare condition and was fighting for his life in hospital after catching the virus. Well, incredibly, Rupert Moore has defied doctors and is set to be discharged. The condition the five-year-old has means he's unable to see, speak, eat or move. He spent several days in intensive care but has made an astonishing recovery and will be home in time for Christmas. And finally, bosses at a wild animal park in Kent say the gorillas will be kept away from visitors until they're able to have a COVID vaccine. Their enclosure at Howlett's near Canterbury has been cordoned off since the pandemic started amid fears they could catch the virus. While keepers still wear full PPE when feeding the animals, while the veterinary department is getting progress reports on the use of a vaccine in the US, which could eventually be licensed for use here in the UK. Kent Online News. Other top stories today, and a teenager's been locked up for 18 months after stabbing another boy in the head in Ramsgate. The 14-year-old victim has told a court he still suffers flashbacks and has depression after it happened when he went to buy a kebab in June last year. John Gould, who's 18 and now lives in St Andrews Close in Whitstable, has been sent to a young offenders institution. 
Police are investigating after a homeless man's bedding was set on fire in Gravesend. The arson attack happened in an area of the terrace last Friday. Officers have been going door to door and looking at CCTV to try and find whoever's responsible. A report has found people under the influence of drugs or alcohol being held in custody in Kent weren't regularly woken up and spoken to to make sure they were OK. Inspectors have also said checks on detainees are often being carried out by only looking through spy holes, raising concerns over safety. However, they do say Kent Police has made good progress in making sure children and vulnerable people are kept away from custody when it's not appropriate. Three Kent companies have been named and shamed today by the government for failing to pay staff the minimum wage. They're among more than 200 across the country who've left a total of 12,000 workers out of pocket. Waterstones, House of Fraser and Shoe appear on the list. Afzal Rahman from Union Group, the TUC, says it's a national scandal. Every worker deserves fair pay for the work that they do and there should be no, there is no excuse. And with the cost of living rising, energy bills, Christmas presents this year, food, everybody's noticing the impact of inflation in their pockets it's going to be a really really tough tough year for people the kent online podcast with ball in maidstone Train operator Go Ahead is admitting serious errors and failures in the way it ran the South Eastern Rail franchise in Kent. The company was stripped of the contract in October after failing to declare more than £25 million of taxpayer funding. Or bosses say behaviours identified in an independent review do not reflect the values and standards of conduct expected of colleagues. The Kent Online podcast has been told a move which will see all councils forced to look after unaccompanied asylum-seeking children needs to be a permanent solution and not a temporary fix. Kent has battled for 20 years for more to be done to ease the burden on the authority. Youngsters who arrive in the county without their parents need to be looked after by social services, but increasing numbers of people arriving has seen them overwhelmed. Well, the government recently announced it'll force other areas to help out. I've been speaking to KCC leader Roger Goff, who says the previous voluntary arrangement wasn't ideal. We had a relaunch of the national transfer system uh, back in the summer. Uh, We have seen quite large numbers of young people placed with other local authorities, and uh, we're very grateful to all those who've taken part. But what we always felt was the problem was, could this be quick enough? Could it be responsive enough, particularly at a time when you had very large numbers of arrivals? And also, whilst many authorities did take place, sorry, did take part, uh, a number didn't. And uh, clearly over time, that undermines the confidence of those authorities who do step up to the plate. So we've always been of the view that it ought to be a mandatory system, uh, and uh, clearly it's good that governments moved in that direction. Now, it is said that this is currently a a temporary arrangement to deal with the crisis as we've got it at the moment because of the uh, large numbers of arrivals, the backlogs, the number of young people who have had to be in hotels. Uh, But we'll see how long that plays out. It's not going to be something that's going to be uh, resolved overnight. So uh, we, of course, are of the view that this should be uh, the, stand, the long-standing, the permanent arrangement. Elsewhere today, a government bill aimed at stopping asylum seekers crossing the channel has been passed in the Commons. Home Secretary Priti Patel says the National and Borders Bill will break the deadly business model of people smugglers and introduce new maximum life sentences. Refugee charity Care for Calais has criticised the bill, though, saying it'll allow the government to send people to shockingly inhumane offshore sites for their asylum claims to be processed. Kent Online reports. 
Now, this is one of our most read stories today. More traffic lights could be installed on the A28 in Ashford if plans for a new Aldi are approved. The discount chain want to open a store on Canterbury Road in the Kennington part of town after buying a site that had previously been earmarked for a steakhouse. But people living nearby are worried about the amount of traffic on the road and a consultation into the idea is now underway. Well, Dan Wright wrote this story for us. Dan, why is it so controversial? It's such a controversial scheme because... Because it's such a busy stretch of road, this part of the A28 is one of the most congested in Ashford at times, with drivers heading up into the town centre from the Canterbury direction, and you'll regularly see cars queuing up outside the planned Audi site during the morning rush hour and in the evenings as well, and that's where the concern comes from, with people just worried that Kennington will be unable to cope with the extra demand if an Audi supermarket with room for 120 car parking spaces is built on this land. As well as the traffic concerns, it's also worth mentioning that Audi already has a store in Ashford. It's had a supermarket in Victoria Road since 2018 and if it gets its way, the retailer will have another supermarket, this one on Waterbrook Park in Sevington, not far from Junction 10. So in a few years' time, if it all goes to plan for Audi, there could be three of its supermarkets in Ashford which some people say is too many, while others claim that Kennington in particular is crying out for a supermarket. So there are two sides to the debate and it will be very interesting to see how it all unravels over time with Kennington residents currently being asked to share their views on the plans for the A28 store which is a controversial project because it's on such a busy stretch of road. At Kent Online today, you can see footage of two sheep on the loose in Faversham. It's understood the animals visited both Tesco and Morrison's in the town this morning and made their way through traffic as people tried to capture them. Craig David's going to be playing in Kent next summer. He'll be performing on the scenic stage at Dreamland in Margate in August. Tickets go on sale at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. And some of the stars of Chatham's pantomime have been telling us what it's like preparing for a show under the threat of Omicron. Covid restrictions meant theatres had to close last Christmas, but performances are taking place again this year. Although after the restrictions were announced yesterday, you will need to wear a face mask if you go along to one. Well, former EastEnders actor Matt Lipinskis is playing the prince in Beauty and the Beast at the Central Theatre and says it's great to be back to acting after taking on other work during the pandemic. So with the new variant that's come out, obviously different precautions are coming into place. Uh, we obviously can't isolate all of the team because there's so many of us and obviously we'd all have to stay in one place so but we're all trying to take our own precautions um, you know not go out sort of in large groups wear our masks everywhere you know there are the precautions in place so we're doing as much as we can to sort of um, keep it away and hopefully um, you know it won't drift in and we won't have to sort of stop the show because that's the last thing we want and people have paid for them you know tickets and they want to come and we want to be able to sort of like get back to the normality a lot of um, a lot of theatres and a lot of pantos are sometimes um, theatres' biggest sort of grossing shows throughout the year. Um, it's it's a tradition that people come to. Um, it's a tradition that people spend their hard-earned money that they've made to come and see and, and take their families out. 
and it's and it brings that sort of environment together at the end of the year it's something that christmas sort of does this magical thing and panto is involved in that and yes it's it's great that it's back it's great that the west end's back it's great that the shows are back on stage and you know the revenue is starting to come back for the companies that have had to take such a you know big loss as well as everybody else in in other industries have taken massive loss it's just trying to recoup like recuperate now I think pantomime will always have a place for years and years and years to come. It's um, it's a tradition. It's family based. It's there's something in there for the adults. It's fun. It's fabulous. It's energetic. It gives joy to people at Christmas. It gives people work at Christmas. Um, you can make some friends for life when you come and do some of these shows um, because you're within that um, bubble within that month, and those are the people that you see, and they end up becoming like your family. Um, and it's it's a joyous joyous thing and pantomime has gone through the years and will continue to go through the years. So the building thing is because a lot of my friends, well most of my boys that I grew up with, they're all in the trade and um, I jumped on with them for a bit and then sort of wanted to do my own thing so I started uh, my own company. Um, I've still got my van, I've still got all my tools so if anything ever gets quiet again of course I'll jump back on there but at the moment the acting's taking sort of centre stage and, and I'm, able to, I'm able to do what I love again which is great. The Panto opens tonight and runs until New Year's Eve. Kent Online Sport. Kent tennis star and British number one Emma Raducanu says her life is normal as she reflects on a breakthrough year. The 18 year old from Bromley rose to fame after sealing a maiden Grand Slam victory at the US Open in September. She says her run to the fourth round at Wimbledon was what laid the foundation for her success. For me that was the most exciting thing to be able to play better players more often and more consistently and then um, yeah I had a great swing out in in the states and ending with the US Open so um, I feel like for me life is just normal. And in cricket England have struggled to stop Australia scoring runs on the second day of the first Ashes test. The hosts finished on 343 for seven in Brisbane after England were bowled out for just 147 yesterday. A reminder that Kent Zach Crawley is with the squad in Australia that missed out on a place in the team for the opening match of the series. Well that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get at access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches.